The opinions expressed in this episode are solely the authors and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the employers or its affiliates. Today, we're talking about home ownership with Jonathan Wilson, who I've known for over five years. He's a husband, father, piano player in a local band, and for today's conversation, a tenancy mortgage lender for over five years. We'll discuss the home buying process, the realities of owning a home, and a special treat at the end on ways to improve your chances with the loan to be accepted in this multiple offers, cash-driven, and investor-friendly market. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Byron. This is exciting. Absolutely. Now, Jonathan, we've known each other for a while. I tell everyone you are my personal lender, and I mean it. You helped my family get our first home, and soon after, I enjoyed the process so much that I became a licensed realtor in Tennessee in 2016. And we've done countless deals and community events together ever since. Now, part of the American dream is home ownership, but unless a person asks, they might not know the process of buying a home. I tell people, if you are getting a loan to purchase a home, the lender is one of the most important people in the process because they are essentially the gatekeepers of the financiers. From your perspective, what is the purpose of the lender in the home buying process? That's a great question. I mean, to keep it simple, it's to provide the financing for the buyer of the home. You know, we can't loan out money to everyone. There are certain guidelines we've got to follow. and We've got to make sure the buyer qualifies for that loan. Hmm. I remember when we first started looking for a home, and like most, we started online. We put our incomes in, and we got a number, and it said we were approved for X amount. So then we started searching for homes at that max number. <laughs> when we finally became serious, I actually just walked into your office, and I think you were the only one available at the time that Yeah, day. I remember that. <laughs> but after getting all the paperwork in, it was a different number we were approved for. Yep. What is the difference between someone going online and within minutes getting a number and what you do? Well, there's a couple of things I can speak to regarding that. First one is, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? I can go online to a lender and say that I make a million dollars a year and make up a bunch of stuff and it can spit out a pre-qual letter and say that I'm good to you know, buy a $2 million house, right? So that's one element there. Um, it's just not reliable. It hasn't been verified. You can put in whatever you want and get the letter that you're seeking, right? The other thing is a lot of times folks make good money, but a lender may not be able to count some of that income. Someone is newly into a commission-based role. They receive commission for maybe six months or so. Not a long enough history to know how much commission they will average out for the future, right? So someone can put in there and they have good intentions. They're not trying to lie, but yeah, I made, you know, $3,000 this month in commissions on top of my base pay, but lenders can't count that. And that computer, that algorithm doesn't understand that yet because they haven't verified the details. Therefore, it says that they're approved for more than that, what they'll actually qualify for. Wow. That, that's a lot. Now there are currently in Tennessee, more realtors, the homes available right now. Yeah. And it's probably across the country as well. And some will say any realtor can do the same thing as another. Does it matter who the lender is? I think it definitely matters who the lender is. We just talked about online lenders and how you're not sure if you can trust that piece of paper that their computer algorithm generated, right? But I think local matters. I think having the reputation of a local lender that gets your clients to the closing table and provides excellent service, I think that matters. 
when you're working with a lender, you need to be able to reach out to them. If you have questions throughout the process, you know, make sure you're being communicated with. And um, you're not going to get that from someone that works in a call center, right? Um, my clients have my personal cell number. If there's something that they need, we can jump on it right away. Local lenders have a reputation to maintain. When I put my name on a, on a pre-approval letter, I'm basically saying to the sellers, the realtors, my buyer, we're going to get you to the closing table. And if I don't, then that's not going to look good on me, right? On my record. Um, so I do think it matters who you use. I think local is always best. And check the reviews of the lenders that you've been referred to. You know, go online, check them out. That's good. Uh, what do you do that is different? So what I would say that I do is different. You know, number one, I'm going to make sure everybody is pre-approved all the way, right? Never had a pre-approval go bad, knock on wood. Um, but I mean, things happen in the process. People lose jobs, right? Uh, unfortunately. But barring anything like that from occurring, my clients are going to get to the closing table and I'm going to make sure. Secondly, I always want to make sure my clients understand all of the options that they have available to them and not just say, hey, you're approved for FHA, but not explain what's different about an FHA loan versus conventional versus USDA, right? If they qualify for those different loan programs. I'm going to show them what the differences are so that they understand what, what options they have, right? Figure out the best solution together. And thirdly, I... In my previous life, when I worked for uh, another company in commercial finance, of all things, um, they really emphasized the customer experience. And I felt like mortgage lending could be so much better. It's not fun to get a mortgage, right? Let's just be honest, you know. But I try to make the process as easy and as fun as possible. I give updates out all the time, and I think it's a pretty fun, cool way. Um, we give little prizes out throughout the process, too. So it's fun. I like to make it fun. And um, so that's what I'd say I would do different than other lenders. Now, we both have seen people who just are ready to become homeowners. To you, what are some signs that someone is not ready to be a homeowner? That's a great question. And this comes up every now and then. In my job, obviously, I want everybody to own a home, right? But some people just aren't ready. And in my world, we have guidelines we've got to follow, right? Um, I like to use this phrase that I see a lot of times when, you know, when you're looking, say, at the stock market or 401ks and the fine print, it always says past performance does not predict future results. In my world kind of does. You're looking at credit history and things like that. So you're looking at the character of a borrower and they've got a lot of collections. They've got a lot of debts. Their scores are, are low as they're maxing out their credit cards. It's probably someone who's not ready for home ownership. In addition to that, someone doesn't have, I hate to say it, but if someone doesn't have a lot of money in the bank or some money in the bank, for savings, I don't think that person is ready for home ownership. I would love for them to get in a home eventually, but to move into a home when you have zero dollars in the bank and it's a brand new home, not even if it's not necessarily a brand new home, right? Brand new home to them, right? Um, there's gonna be expenses. There's moving expenses. Suddenly you've got a yard to cut. You can cut that. You gotta get a lawnmower. How are you gonna pay for that? You're gonna hire somebody to cut your ass? You gotta get a garden hose, you gotta get dishes, whatever it is, right? There's there's a lot of expenses that come on along with homeownership, pairs, etc. You don't have money in the bank, you're probably gonna go in debt to get those things done. And that's going to push you even further behind in your financial goals. Those are all great points. And I'm even thinking throughout the process, um, inspection costs, appraisal costs, these are all out of pocket expenses. And that's before you even get into the home. That's to see if the home is even viable for you and the bank will give you the money. Absolutely. We all have heard of the American dream. 
A lot of people don't know that it was coined by James Truslow Adams in 1931. And he is quoted by saying, life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement, regardless of social class or circumstances of birth. What was adopted in that philosophy was home ownership, nice house, white picket fence, two-car garage. But we both know and have seen a portion of our society will never be homeowners for whatever reason. Do you think home ownership defines a person's life? I don't think home ownership defines who you are or what you what you do for others. I think that defines you. What difference do you make in others' lives? You have a family that you're providing for. What do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy traveling? Do you enjoy um, sports? Do you, you know, what is it that you that you do and do for others? I don't think home ownership has to be something that defines you. I think home ownership is great, but it's not for everyone. And you know, I'm a realtor. You're a lender. So our business, I mean, the way we feed our families is dependent on people getting in homes. Absolutely. Well, we're both realists. You know, but at the end of the day, we do want everyone to, if you know, home ownership is part of the dream, to be able to fulfill a part of that dream. But at the end of the day, reality is that's not for everyone. Right. And like I said earlier, I, I would love for everyone to buy a home because I do think there's advantages that come along with that. Right. But it doesn't define who someone is. Not everyone wants to be in that box. Right. So I want to help as many people as I can, but I, I'm a realist, like you mentioned, and you know, I can't help everyone. Most people only calculate that the mortgage payment will be cheaper than what they're paying in rent or that renting is just throwing money away. From a lender's perspective, what are the real costs of homeownership? I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been having this talk with a lot of clients lately and teach them about their mortgage payment. Everybody says your mortgage payment can be less than rent. In some cases, that's true. Everybody says rent goes up, but your mortgage payment doesn't. And I'm very clear when I talk to my clients and I say, here's your principal and interest portion of your payment. That's never going to change, right? It's locked in, fixed rate, never going to change. Taxes and insurance are on top of that. Taxes, what do they do over time? They don't go down, right? They go up. They go up. Your homeowner's insurance goes up. Guess what? Your payment's going up, right? So I'm glad you brought that up because there's it's definitely more than the principal and interest mortgage payment. Also, if you don't have a down payment, or much of a down payment, you got the PMI on cost on top of that. You're in an HOA, you got to pay HOA dues, right? That's just to live there or have a roof over your head, right? What about all the bills? What if the um, or if the windows need to be replaced and your energy costs are higher? What if you get a uh, leak in your roof? What if you need a new roof? What if your washer goes out? What if your dishwasher goes out? HVAC, home warranty isn't the magic pill to get rid of all that. Now you're going to have those expenses. What if you end up buying a house and you don't like the neighbors <laughs> or your kids don't like the school that they're in, then you can't just on a whim decide up, oh, we're going to move somewhere else, right? There's, that's a process. So there's a lot of additional costs other than that principal and interest portion of your payment. Absolutely. I know you talked about down payment and obviously that can affect how much your person is paying. I read an article in CNBC.com back in 2019. So obviously the number is maybe higher or lower, but it said that 43% of homeowners ages 34 and younger got money from family or friends. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've seen that a lot and that's great. Helps them buy, you know, it's great. But what happens after that's gone? What happens after you're in there? Do you have the the money you need to pay for home ownership? Now, I know some people say they want to own a home so they can do with the property whatever they want. 
which is understandable, until they find out they have to get permission from the Neighborhood Homeowners Association. No HOA. Which, like anything else, has its pros and cons. From a lender's perspective, how do HOAs affect homeownership? Or even from a homeowner's perspective? Yeah, so from a lender perspective, if you're buying a home that's in an HOA, you're going to have HOA dues, monthly dues. You got to make sure your monthly mortgage payment, including the HOA dues. Now, HOA dues are paid separate from your mortgage, but it's considered a housing expense from a lender perspective. So you got to make sure that fits your debt to income ratio cap there. There's also going to typically be higher fees at closing. There's going to be transfer fees. The HOA loves to take money from people when they sell the house, right? Uh, transfer fees, working capital. I've seen all sorts of things. They're going to collect some dues from you at closing, maybe for the rest of the year, whatever, right? Um, if you're buying a condo association, you got more. You got to get some additional condo documents that they might charge for or whatnot. You're basically, when you buy an HOA, you're going to have more expense involved, bottom line. may not be significant, but it's there. From a home ownership perspective, I can tell you from my personal experience, I love where I live. My neighborhood's great. But some people that get on the HOA board think they've got some power. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, we uh, we recently had our upstairs, we, had, uh, we put in hardwood floors, did a little bit of uh, expansion in our rooms and whatnot. Our contractor left his trailer overnight. For a few nights because he was out there every day. He lived 40 minutes away or something. He's like, can I leave my trailer in your driveway? Of course. Like, why, why couldn't you, right? About two days after it was there, I got a message on Facebook. Hey, what's going on with that trailer in your, in your driveway? I'm thinking, who cares? You know? But there's a rule in the HOA that says, on HOA guidelines that say, no trailers parked in, in driveways. So I was like, really? Like, I've got to tell this guy just because this rule, he's got to drive his trailer minutes. Right. Most people don't care. Some people do. You just don't know what you're getting into until you're there. <laughs> Put it that way. True. But for um, the other side of that is, you know, the HOA's job is wanting to make sure that properties are well maintained to keep the property values increasing, right? You don't want someone to move in and never cut the grass and the property's in disrepair. And that affects everyone else's values because they don't want to live next to that guy, right? <laughs> Um, you know, we've got a pool and that's nice and the expense goes to maintain the pool and kids love that, right? So, but the good comes with the bad, right? All the time. <laughs> so if you're on social media in any real estate group, investment group, finance group, you name it, this question comes up a lot. Is your primary home an investment? I think it is personally. Now, with that said, I don't suggest you buy a house and move six months or a year later to sell it, right? I don't think that's long enough to get a return on your investment, although some people do that. Property tends to increase in value over time. We had a pretty substantial dip back in 2007, 2008. That was not a good year for real estate. But since then, over time, everything's recovered. And we've had a crazy year with uh, property values this past year. I don't think it's going to continue to increase at that level. But over time... Property values are going to continue to increase. I do think it's a good investment. We know people come to you who just aren't ready to own a home. What are some ways that people can move from not being ready to being ready? So most folks who come to me and are not ready to buy a home, it usually boils down, I'm, I'll be honest, it's not on their credit scores. Okay. So with that said, I offer those clients the opportunity Hey, let's get on a Zoom call. Let me share my screen. Let's run some simulators. Let's see what we can do to kind of help the situation out. So that's number one, I think. If that's, if that's a challenge that you have, let's do that. Let's figure that out. Also, be honest with you and tell you that 90% of the time, those clients do not take me up on that offer. 
they don't want to spend the 20 minutes to to go through that. So there's a habit issue, right? Some people are just creatures have it. They're not, I hate to say it. I really want everybody to be awesome and great at budgeting and everything, but not everybody is. 90% of the time, people do not take me up on that offer and they're going to continue with their bad habits. But I've, I've noticed those who do book that time with me, go through the steps, we go through the simulators, I show them, hey, if you just get rid of this or that or pay a little extra on this or that and do it and we see your scores jump from a 550 to a 620 or whatever it is, right? People get excited about it and they're like, oh, okay. So they're more inclined to take those steps so that they qualify. But also, I think sticking to a budget is the number one way to really prepare yourself for what bills you're going to have. Budget is key. Figure out what you're comfortable with spending, right? Spending at home. Make sure you have that written down and you stick to it. Conversation I have with a lot of clients is, you know, hey, how much are you comfortable with for a monthly mortgage payment? They'll tell me, oh, I don't know, $1,600, something like that. Okay, cool. Sometimes they ask me, why do you want to know? And I'm like, well, because on paper, I can probably approve you for more than what you're comfortable with. And I want to make sure we keep things in check, right? So know what that number is. You know, do your budget. Figure out how much you're comfortable with for a monthly mortgage payment, including the taxes and insurance and HOA and all that, right? So make sure you're comfortable with it and stick to it. Other than that, just have your ducks in a row. And make sure you've got your pay stubs available. Make sure you got your W-2s. Make sure you got your tax returns, you know. We're going to need that to make sure that you qualify. So having that stuff in order is extremely helpful. You had a quote earlier about past behavior being a predictor. Yeah. And I, I think that is key for a lot of people who have credit issues in particular. Some people just have to change their ways, have to change their habits. They've got to finally put their foot down and say, look, I, I dug myself in a hole. I'm going to get myself out of it so I can move ahead. Absolutely. It's going to take it personal. That's right. (laughs) I'm a realtor. You're a lender. And we have friends who lost offers for their clients because the offers right now are out of this world. Do you have any tips on how to increase someone's chances of getting an offer approved with a loan contingency in this multiple offers, cash driven and investor friendly market? I think this is what everyone's actually waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, number one, I might be biased, but I think, again, having a pre-approval letter from a local lender is absolutely key if you're getting financing. I've actually seen realtors put in listings now. I've confirmed it that it literally says we will not entertain any offers with a pre-approval from an online lender. So number one, have a local lender on your pre-approval letter. Number two, I would say have that conversation with your realtor on strategies as far as escalation clauses, appraisal gaps things like that. And then talk to your lender and see if they can do something creative. You're in a situation where, you know, say you've got a decent down payment, 20%, 15% or something like that, but run the chances of an appraisal coming in less than the sales price. What options, what are my options at that point? Because you do have options, believe it or not, you do. You don't just have to always bring the extra money to closing. Number three is when you're working with a local lender, they should be very willing to accept a phone call from the listing agent that you submitted the offer to because the listing agent sees all sorts of pre-approval letters from all sorts of different places and they all say different things. Some of them say, hey, they're pre-approved for this amount. Some will say, hey, we pre-approved them, but we actually looked at stuff. Have that listing agent call your lender and ask, did you verify 
pay stubs? Did you verify income? Did you verify assets? What happens if the appraisal comes in less? Do they have options? You know, things like that. You want to make your offer stand out. You do have to be, unfortunately, a little aggressive in this market. So having the conversations between your realtor and your lender, I think, are key in order to get your offer accepted. Those are great. Like I said earlier, coming from a lender, who's one of the most important people in the whole buying process, those are really good. Lastly, for those who are waiting for the market to crash, mm-hmm. like it did back in 2008, as of right now, based off everything we're seeing, will it? Well, I don't think it will. I will tell you this. I worked in lending. I wasn't a loan originator back during the recession, but I worked behind the scenes. And it's a whole other world right now. Let me tell you, back then, you just type in that you make a million bucks. You could literally type that in. I worked at McDonald's. I make a million dollars. And they would give you the loan without verifying income, without verifying assets or anything, right? It's ridiculous. Ever since then, we have to prove that the borrower has the ability to repay the loan. And that's through credit, that's through income, that's through asset, all all the things, right? So we are literally proving that these folks can repay the loan and it's a different world. So therefore, I don't think we're going to see a crash like that. Uh, there might, there could be a correction. I mean, who, who knows, right? There could be a correction. I think the demand is just so strong and there's a lot of things that went into play with, you know, COVID, but, you know, all the things, right? And we're seeing unprecedented demand right now. It might cool off. I hope it cools off, honestly, but I don't think it's going to crash. That's my opinion, though. Jonathan, do you have any last words for the audience? I don't think so. This was great. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. This is uh, the first time I've ever done a podcast and nervous about it, I'll be honest, but pretty fun. Oh, no, you did great. But Jonathan, thank you for chatting with us today about home ownership and why it may not be the best option for everyone. You can follow Jonathan Wilson on social media, on Facebook at Jonathan Wilson Mortgage Lender, and on Instagram at Home Loans Made Awesome.